millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to The Art Detective with me, Dr. Yanina Ramirez. I am a Oxford lecturer, a broadcaster and a writer, but I am most importantly, your chief investigator of images. I am delighted to be joined by an able assistant today, the wonderful Professor Alice Roberts, who you will all know from your screens, the incredible work she does on Digging for Britain and numerous other things, but is also Professor of Public Engagement in the Sciences. Yes, that's right. Yes, yes I got at it. the University of Birmingham. At the University of Birmingham. So it's all about getting university research out there and engaging people with it. Um, not just when it's happened, actually, but as it's happening too. I'm quite interested in that. So asking people, seeing if we can get some new insights and some new inspiration from people early on. You know, maybe we could even change the direction that research goes in. Gosh, how exciting. Very cutting edge. So this podcast is done through History Hit. And uh, that's a similar sort of thing, trying to get historical discoveries, archaeological discoveries out as soon as, as they happen because things change so rapidly now don't they discoveries are so quick and technology moves everything so fast so you're yeah, at the cutting edge of yeah. this but for the sciences and I think that I don't really see science as being separate from the rest mm. of our culture either I see it as being really embedded in our culture and there's a lot of really fantastic stories there so it's not just about the sort of the benefits that technology might bring to us but actually the the wonderful stories that that science can tell us as well and that's what's always really fascinated me about your work Alice is that you are you know you're a medic by training proper scientist proper doctor and yet you branch out so often into into a world I recognize of archaeology anthropology and and art as well I've seen your ink drawings you're pretty good you're I pretty do good. like a bit of drawing yeah <laughs> I did inktober which was fantastic because I'd kind of settled into this um well I, I think a laziness about drawing where uh, I would draw if I absolutely had to so I would draw diagrams to illustrate lectures or, or for books and whatever but I wasn't actually drawing for myself and I, uh, it's a it's a lovely thing to do and it's a different way of expressing yourself and yeah inktober means you have to do uh, an ink drawing every day for the whole of October I didn't I don't think I managed every day Having basically challenged my friend Wendy to do it, I think she did manage every day. <laughs> well, I saw some of the products there. They were great. And, and you put me to shame. I mean, I'm an art historian and I, I can doodle and paint a bit. But your ink drawings are amazing. Thank you very Absolutely much. Absolutely fantastic. So you're an art lover. We can establish yes, that. Yes, I, I always have been. And I, I found it really difficult to narrow myself down when I was at school. Um, I, loved, I loved history. I loved the classics. And I loved art. And I did art A-level oh. alongside the sciences 
is, although it did clash with physics, so I kind of had to do it in my lunchtime, in my spare time. <laughs> Dedication. <laughs> but then this is kind of where we meet as well, because I was the same in, in reverse in that I did all the humanities, but then I did biology. I absolutely adored biology right up to the end. And there is that, I think now we make these modern uh, divisions, don't we, between the humanities and the sciences. Yeah, and, definitely. And in fact, a lot of it is artificial. The lines, the borders between what people can and can't study yeah. is artificial. And that really brings us around to what we're looking at today. Yes. Now, clever old history hit. They have embedded the images into the podcast, so you can click on the link and get up a lovely high-resolution image. And do you want to tell us what we're looking at? Yes, we are looking at some fantastic ancient art, some Ice Age art from deep inside the French cave of Lascaux. And it is it is absolutely wonderful. The particular image that we're looking at is a frieze on the wall of all of these large animals and some of them are recognizable they look like bulls and in fact this is called the hall of the bulls we've also got some little horses as well mm. running along the bottom and a very odd animal that's been called a unicorn i'm not sure why because it's quite obviously got two, <laughs> two horns, horns yeah, <laughs> quite clearly but it's a kind of uh, i don't know it's a, an imaginary animal it doesn't look like anything you've ever seen yeah it's sort of a hybrid isn't it there's sort of cat marks on on the side and and yeah it's it's a really strange fantastical beast i'm so pleased you're talking about this with me because um traditionally art history as a discipline really kind of hits its stride in the renaissance so we're talking oh, really? about the 500 years that's where it's that's where it's real art alice don't you know that's uh, real art so uh, yeah but, this uh, is this is potentially twenty thousand years old exactly so, yeah. so we are pushing the limits of what is art right back to to the beginning yeah um i love doing that with what i do with medieval art i i think it's it's the be- the expression of um beauty and pain and suffering as well but of emotion and the human condition, the need to express that visually, it goes right back. And as you say, you know, we're looking potentially 20,000 years back with this. Yeah, I mean, the, the traditional date for Lascaux has been 17,000 years. I say traditional since the 1960s when they, when they started doing radiocarbon dating and they were able to date some of the organic remains in the cave. Not the paintings themselves, though, because actually the, the paintings themselves, the pigments are, are, un, are undateable. Mm. You can't date ochre. You can't date manganese, which is what the, what the black pigment is. Um, so you have to kind of rely on other bits and pieces of organic material that you find in the cave. Now, there have been some more recent dates actually coming out of Lascaux based on a, a piece of a spear and also um, a reindeer antler, potentially pushing it back to maybe 22, 23,000 years ago. Mm-hmm. But I don't think I don't think the dates matter too much. Um, it, it, you know, it's, it's important to, um, to get some precision and clarity around those dates. But imagining that this is painted sometime between... 23,000 and 17,000 years ago, um, that places us at a really crucial time in Europe when we're basically right at the peak of the last ice age. And this so we is know so the environment. Yeah. yeah, so this is this is a big environmental change. Um, I mean, we, we are talking thousands of years before the Egyptians, uh, which oh, yeah. you, know, you, would, yeah. you would classify certainly as creating artworks. But this this is art, in, in, in my opinion, I'm sure it is in yours too. Yeah. Um, and to put it to, in the context then of the Ice Age, what, what is this, this environment that we're looking at in France, around Moscow at this time? Well, if we, if we look at the environment in Europe 20,000 years ago, uh, this is the last glacial maximum. This is the peak of the last Ice Age. Um, so this is the last Ice Age that the, the world experienced before the world then started to warm up um, towards the, the kind of climate that we've got today. There was a bit of a cold snap 
uh, <laughs> around 12,000 years ago. But apart from Ever that... Ever so slightly uh, murderous yeah, cold slap. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but apart from that, you know, this is this was the real, real kind of chilly peak of the ice age that we're talking about. I mean, this would, it would have been very uncomfortable sitting where we're sitting. So um, we're, we're, we're in my house. We're very close to the Severn. You can, you can see mm. the Severn estuary. And in fact, if we'd been sitting here 20,000 years ago, you would have seen the ice sheet. So the ice sheet came down this far uh, and we would have been um, either still very icy just here or um, in tundra anyway. Oh, wow. So everybody cleared out of Britain mm. at 20,000 years ago. There, there, there was nobody here. There'd been people in Britain before and then it got too cold and too nasty and people cleared out. And that probably makes it sound too easy and it sounds like people migrated off. I, I suspect what happened is that um, populations died out actually mm. in the north. Mm. They clung on in the south. So um, Lascaux is sufficiently um, far south in Europe for people to be clinging on. And still, actually, it would have been a, it would have been a cold, uh, very dry environment that they were living in. So when you go to the Dordogne today, oh, it's yeah, beautiful, beautiful and lush. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It, it wouldn't have been like that. So are we talking about um, these caves? Because there is a sequence of um, painted caves in that region, aren't there? And I, I, I mean, there's thousands of caves in that network because the, the, the rock was particularly porous, is that right? Or it was just eroded yeah, in a certain Yeah, I mean, way? limestone is, mm. is just perfect for making caves you get water falling on the limestone and it starts to percolate through and the water dissolves the limestone away so essentially these caves are formed by underground rivers flowing through them and and then at some point the underground rivers um, move off elsewhere and and then the cave dries out and then becomes habitable or even not you know if not habitable then at least we know that people are going into these caves and using them because that's they're not actually questions, living in them. isn't it when we look at lasco and and um there's some beautiful uh, painted caves there's, there is evidence for people being in them, but not necessarily living in them. Yes, absolutely. So we, you know, we tend to talk about cavemen, and I hate mm. that term because, uh, you know, this is not a time when people are really living in caves. They might be living in uh, rock shelters or very shallow caves. Uh, but they're not, you know, they're not living deep inside caves and hillsides. Because this is very deep down, isn't it? This is down a quite a steep passageway, quite a long way underground. I was reading that the dormice only go 10 metres in. Really? <laughs> it's, it's, it's not even nice for dormice. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It is quite deep under the ground. Um, but, but, but you're saying then, so how are they living? They're living above ground in, in huts or what's the... Yeah, they don't really have huts at this point. So um, we're talking about hunter-gatherers who are moving around in the landscape. So they're quite nomadic. Mm. Uh, so they're probably using, um, if, if they are using huts, they're, they're, uh, they're fairly flimsy mm. and, and it's easy to dismantle them and, uh, and move them on. And it's very, very difficult to find traces of this kind of ephemeral existence because uh, because things are being dismantled and, uh, and moved away. You know, these people are camping in yeah. the landscape, effectively. Um, they're not really building houses. We don't really see people uh, settling and building anything which could be described as a, as a house, a more permanent structure, um, until the until the Mesolithic. So well after the peak of the last ice age, when uh, the environment starts to change again and the, the tundra and the taiga, the sparse forest is replaced by is replaced by denser forest. And then people start to start to settle down. But at this point, we're looking at nomadic hunter gatherers. But they are modern humans they are modern humans yes absolutely so yes certainly the painters of lasco are, are, are modern humans so modern humans originate so modern humans i i use synonymously with with homo sapiens so our own species originates in africa about two hundred thousand years ago 
And then uh, between 50 and 80,000 years ago, modern humans emerge out of Africa and go on to colonize the world. And the astonishing thing about that is that this all happens during the Stone Age. So it all happens during this time when people are living exclusively as hunter-gatherers. They are, they're, these, they're these hunting and gathering nomads and they expand out of Africa. They, they reach Australia by perhaps 60,000 years ago. They start encroaching on Europe by about 50,000 years ago. And then by um, 40,000 years ago, we know from a fragment of maxilla, the upper jawbone from Kent's Cavern in Torquay, mm -hmm. that you can go and visit. It's a show cave. <laughs> uh, but there's a fantastic piece of bone from there, uh, a human maxilla, uh, that dates to just over 40,000 years ago. So we know that modern humans had got to Western to the, Europe yeah. by that point in time. I mean, it, it absolutely blows my poor little medievalist's brain <laughs> to be talking in these sorts of, of numbers. But but I suppose what, what's intriguing about something like Last Go and the idea that um, what you have here are human beings painting a space, that to me suggests some sort of stability of place, some sense of permanent relationship with that landscape, that place. Yes, it's really interesting, isn't it, to think about how this cave might have been used. And, and I think we can certainly expect that people... Um, are, are nomadic and moving around the landscape, but they might be doing that in a cyclical fashion. So they might be coming back to similar places each year. And we sense. see that with the, you know, we see that with um, people like the the reindeer herders in Siberia today. So they go on these extraordinary migrations with the reindeer and they can be covering several hundred kilometers over the course of the year. But it's generally... Um, a rhythm that will bring them back to the same places again. They might not go, be, go back to exactly the same places, but they'll, they'll be fairly sort of, they'll be, they'll be almost retracing their footsteps year after year. See, that really chimes with me. I can see this as almost being a, a returning point, uh, you know, a point at which maybe they take stock of, of, of their journeys because there, there, is, there are sequences of painting in these caves, aren't there? It does seem that the painting has been developed across well, maybe as much as hundreds of years that they've gone back and returned to the caves and added more. I think so. I mean, it's it, it's really tricky thing to to solve this question of you know who painted who painted these images. Modern humans certainly, but you know were, were they all painted at the same time? Mm -hmm. There are there are hundreds and hundreds of of images and animal of animals in the Lascaux cave, mm -hmm. and uh, you know some experts say yes, they're all painted at the same time. There's a coherence to it. There's a uh, there's a similar style going on here, and then other people say no, it's much more likely that actually this is a is this is a palimpsest of hundreds and possibly thousands of years. Yeah, yeah, it, it is so so tricky, and as you said, you know, we've got dating problems in terms of the fact that we can't date the carbon, we can't actually date the the, the what's been used for the black outlining. Yeah, if it, no, if it was carbon, we could date it. So yeah. if it was charcoal, then that would be great. But unfortunately, it's not. It's manganese dioxide, and and so we can't get a date from that. So the dates that we've got for Lascaux are um, are about when the when the cave gets closed off. Yeah, um, that's interesting because yeah. it does. It, it has an end point, certainly, yeah. doesn't it? Yeah, and then and then dates from inside the cave, which are which are based on um, bits of charcoal and uh, and artifacts like this spear and the uh, and and a reindeer antler, but then you then you're assuming an association with the with the date of the painting. That's it. So are they in there living within or using the cave um, for centuries, millennia? 
before the paintings start to go up. It is so inexact in that respect. But um, it's, it's interesting to look at what they're using then. So you've mentioned that the black is done with manganese oxide. What else are they using? Because there's, there's a number of colours, aren't there? Yeah, and you get these kind of classic colours um, in cave paintings, which are which are based on, I suppose, the available pigments that, that people have got and their mineral pigments. So essentially you're looking at ochres, yeah. um, which of course is still used in paints, aren't they? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So ochres are being used. Um, there's, a, there's an interesting magenta colour that just crops up occasionally in here, which is what some sort of iron oxide or oh, I don't know yeah I don't know what that is I mean the the this lovely um russety color certainly is a um is an oxide of iron so that's a that's an ochre and the the palette is very similar to when you look at um aboriginal uh, aboriginal paintings rock paintings um because you've essentially got the same natural pigments available it does make you wonder if there are there were any other pigments they were using that just haven't survived haven't the survived. test of time exactly yeah. exactly when you think about even even in sort of thousand-year-old manuscripts, the greens constantly erode. They're really? lost. Yeah. yeah. So there's the potential here that there was maybe other other things, but but we have a limited palette. But but I think you're right about the un. There's there's certainly um a style, a Lascaux style. Mm. Um, it, but in relation to the other caves in this region, they're looking at a similar set of images, aren't they? Similar uh, vocabulary of symbols. We've got bulls. You mentioned bulls. We've got horses. And the reindeer. This, yes, these are a reindeer people, aren't beautiful they? Beautiful reindeer, reindeer down here with fantastic branching antlers. Absolutely. Yeah. So they're painting what's around them then, presumably. Yes, they are. They're painting animals that they are very familiar with. And I think it's, especially when you look at those bulls, you know that somebody's actually got quite close to a bull to be able to represent them in that much detail. Um, the horses, I think, are interesting, though, because the horses are a bit more stylized mm. um, and they are very thick necked and pot bellied and and quite short legged and they have very, very small heads. So there's a, there's a bit of artistic license going on there, I think. Definitely, definitely. That's one of the things that when people say this isn't art, <laughs> this is somehow primitive or, or whatever, there is a sense of perspective going on in a lot of these. There's that wonderful, I'm looking at the plan of the um, Lascaux Caves now, but there's um, a pair of bulls that are right up in one of the back chambers um, that look like they're running towards the viewer. They get, they're hindquarters are much smaller than their heads so they've attempted to give a sense of perspective it's quite impressive isn't it and it's and, and it's unexpected as well I think you, you imagine that you're you're just going to see something uh sort of flat on yeah. you know from the side um and and not not try no attempt to create that perspective but I think those bulls are doing that. They, they look as though they're running towards you. And then there's the movement that you've got. I mean, a lot of these creatures, their legs are shown in different angles and um, there's a carving. Because some of these, of course, are actually scratched into the surface, aren't they? There's carved elements as well. And um, an attempt to show sort of feet front on and, and horses' feet bending backwards in, a, in, a, in, a, in, mo in movement. So to me, this is quite developed it's quite sophisticated actually yeah um, it's quite dynamic isn't it it is dynamic it is dynamic and um so in terms of the reindeer I understand that that reindeer were very important to these people then at this stage yeah reindeer and horses actually um horses uh, are amongst the the most well represented uh animals at paleolithic sites so these kind of later stone age sites and um, is that in terms of finds connected with them then? yeah in terms of horse bones yeah okay. <laughs> yeah yeah good clear evidence for so them. uh so these people uh, knew what horses looked like and they also knew what horses tasted like so these horses then are not being ridden 
millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. <laughs> as far as we know, I'm always very loath to say, no, they definitely weren't being ridden <laughs> because who knows? Who knows if somebody managed to catch a a small Ice Age horse and ride it. But, you know, it is thousands of years before horses are domesticated. And actually that happens really late. So we have domestication uh, of cattle happening um, pretty much at the same time that people are starting to domesticate plant species like, like wheat. Uh, in the Fertile Crescent, so um, going back just beyond 10,000 years ago. Um, but horses are not domesticated until until much later. So the the beginning of the, the, the sort of very dawn of the Bronze Age, in fact, maybe back into the Copper Age, and people haven't quite worked out that you can combine with tin with copper mm. uh, to make bronze. Um, so, you know, going back sort of about five, 5,000 years ago. Gosh, so they were um, only, only domesticated that recently. Yeah, it is, it's, it is fairly recent yeah. compared with um, the domestication of cattle, the domestication of sheep and goats also quite early. Um, dogs as well, we think, were um, domesticated, um, certainly by the Mesolithic. We've got lovely Mesolithic sites in Britain where we've got domesticated dogs um, like Starcar uh, up in... Yorkshire. Yeah, amazing site. Yeah. And um, going back even earlier, there's a couple of uh, suggestions from from fossilized bones that dogs might have been domesticated going back even as even as long ago as thirty thousand years ago. Really? I think those were probably if if it's true, those are kind of sporadic occurrences rather than the ancestors of today's dogs. Mm. Um, but the idea actually that that these ice age hunters who are hunting these animals could possibly have had dogs helping them yeah, hunt. Yeah, that's, that's it. Yeah. Like, it sort of, again, it, it, it calls into question this idea of what we're, we're looking at. Because the way I've always seen Lasco is that these are wild animals. Yes. That are being hunted for food. Because even in one of the chambers, you've got uh, one of the bulls has been shot with an arrow, hasn't it? And it's in pain. Yes, there are like spears going into it. Yeah. But on the whole, yeah. a lot of these animals are not being shown in the process of dying or with things hanging off them. They're, they're being admired, aren't they? I think so. Uh, it's, it, 
you know, again, we'll never really know what this what this means. But I find it absolutely fascinating going to Australia and going to the Northern Territories and looking at some rock art there and actually talking to some um, current Aboriginal artists about what the rock art meant. And they were making their own art, which is very much um, in the tradition of the region. But as children, they remembered being taken up to uh, the rock art in the in the hills um, around Uinpeli in the in the Northern Territories, and told all these stories about the about the animals that appeared in that in those paintings. And what was interesting about those particular paintings, I mean, obviously much much more recent than than Lascaux, um, but what they were showing, showing was animals that were familiar to them in their landscape. So there were kangaroos and there were all sorts of different types of fish, which were recognizably different species. And um, they seemed to have a dual purpose. So they were, they were sort of menu for hunter-gatherers. <laughs> what do you fancy today? Yeah, reindeer or bison? Yeah, stuff. we'll have a long tom or a big fat barramundi <laughs> fish. Um, but they also had symbolic meanings as well. So yeah. they they played parts in the in the mythology of the region as well. And so each of those animals was a sort of... A, a, it had a it had a spiritual meaning yeah. as well as a as well as a much more sort of functional meaning as a as a food item. Absolutely. And who knows? Perhaps that's what we're seeing here as well. Well, I think this is what really intrigues me. I mean, I think I said to you earlier, Alice, but my a lot of my research was done on bird symbolism, and you know, I'm fascinated by what animals and birds can symbolise to cultures, and and they continue to do so. I mean, look at the American eagle and all the rest of it. You know, the, yeah, the, the yeah. one image, the one symbol of a creature can have so many connected associations and meanings. But we've lost all of those. This is pre, way, way, way pre-literacy. And so the idea that we could even begin to reconstruct what these animals meant to the people looking at them, I think is impossible. What we can say, I suppose, is that they are in an underground chamber that requires some form of, of effort to get to. There is a sense of going into the earth going into these passageways it must have been astonishing I mean it must have been it must have been utterly astonishing actually to to go into this place and just imagine going in there with a burning brazier and the light flickering on the wall Absolutely. and you know we, we're looking at this very well-lit image of the hall of all of the bulls here but just imagine it with that kind of flickering candlelight that brazier light flickering on the walls and and the kind of uh, the the dynamism of that and it would almost look as though the animals were moving around you oh completely and then you've got the curvature of the rocks because this is all of course on the sort of the, the roof of the cavern up the sides and that idea that they move with the rocks i mean i've i've been there and seen them and there is a, the reconstruction of course but but um but there is this sense in which they're working with the raw materials to to bring life to it sort of imbue energy and spirit and dynamism into the into the fabric yeah um we should say a little bit i suppose about how the caves were found and and also what's happening to them now because when you go to Lascaux now you cannot see the originals That's... no no they are shut off from public view and for good reason because the cave is has suffered from this infestation by a fungus which is actually destroying the paintings it's extremely mm. sad um so it was discovered back in 1940 and fairly swiftly actually opened to the public. And that involved a remodelling of the, the entrance of the cave. So these paintings that have survived for 20,000 years, potentially, um, are now under threat. Um, well, they, they survived, didn't they? Because there was, when, when the entrance collapsed, as I understand it, it created a perfect climate-controlled situation within the caverns that nobody touched it, nobody went in, as you say, for 20,000 
20,000 years, but that that um, climate could could exist until the fresh air got to it. Mm. And it was the discovery that actually is bringing about its destruction. Um, but now you can see casts, can't you? The actual paintings are conserved, as I understand it, behind, are they behind glass? What are they? You know? Well, you go and see Lascaux Two is a reconstruction. Yeah. Um, so what you actually what you actually go and see now is a reconstruction of Lascaux as it looked when it was originally discovered in all its glory. Um, whereas actually the, the the paintings are suffering terribly. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know even though I think uh, people can feel a bit disappointed when they get to Lascaux and go, oh, I'm seeing a reconstruction. Mm-hmm. The reconstructions are really good and they've just opened a new one. Mm-hmm. Um, so so actually I think it's it's worth going to see it in the flesh, as it were, to see it life-size. Yeah. Because then you get the the real kind of impact of, the, of these paintings. And what an amazing thing it must have been for these Ice Age hunters to go deep inside the hillside and, uh, and experience this art. I mean, this would have been, uh, I don't know what they were doing. Nobody knows what they were doing. But, it, you know, it's like going to the cinema. It's a, it was, a, it was a, an amazing sort of epic vision that they were experiencing deep down in this cave. And you can kind of let your imagination run right about what was going on, whether it was um, some kind of performance art and mm. and people were processing through the cave, um, you know, what kind of rituals uh, uh, went along with this fantastic art. Or perhaps it was much more private than that. And, you know, we just, we just don't know actually how this art was used. Mm. Um, I... I suppose in my most flippant moments, I think, yeah, this is a few, this is a few uh, teenage girls or boys going down the, going down <laughs> the cave, graffitiing down the cave, and then saying to their friends, "Come and see, come and see this." It's a bit like, "Come up and see my etchings, isn't it? <laughs> come into the cave with me. Come, come and have a look what sneaky, I've done." Sneaky yeah, cigarette yeah. <laughs> my graffiti. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> And we I, know I'm that. I'm not sure. I mean, I think. <laughs> <laughs> See, serious archaeologists. And I, you know, I'm a, I'm a physical anthropologist, so I can get away with saying this. It, uh, but serious archaeologists will be really disgusted at me for saying that. But the trouble is, you have to entertain all possible you hypotheses. You know, as a, as a good scientist, what you do is entertain all possible hypotheses, and then you, you look for ways of testing those hypotheses. But you also, can't test these hypotheses. So you, you can't, no. You, they've still got to stay out there. And you know, this idea. Well. The idea that there's just one solution to how we look at this. That's, yeah. You know, again, you know, you're absolutely right you can you have to put yourself in in multiple situations to try and understand how how it could have been viewed and uh, I'm with you I mean I love this idea of them and there must have been a a degree of ceremony and and I don't know just just mystique to going into this space and experiencing it that that it's quite intimate quite exciting I love what you said about the cinema the idea of yeah yeah, the lights have gone out you're out of the 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 other thing these are people who are moving and up against the elements all the time in this space it's a a new environment it's an environment that doesn't have the the wind and the impact of being outside so just that indoor outdoor thing is is a a transition isn't it yeah yeah and I think that you know we if you think about all the different ways in which this art could have been experienced, um, you do have to actually um, forget about your inhibitions. You have to um, get away from the kind of, I, I find them to be very quite staid and traditional ideas uh, of what this is about. Um, you know, it's always about high religion and yes. uh, and, um, uh, and and ritual. Um, there could be something quite sexy about this, I think. What you know, going down to this cave and and seeing all these wonderful images. Look at um, you getting carried away with this teenage know, idea of going it's into just, cave. Yeah. yeah, I mean, God, is this well, what goes on, man. I, I can imagine myself as a, <laughs> I can imagine myself as a fifteen-year-old young hunter-gatherer, um, and and this boy coming up to me and saying, 
Come and come and have a look at this. And I would have been totally turned on by this stuff. <laughs> oh my goodness. I am seeing Lascaux cave paintings in a completely new way. But no, it could be, couldn't it? Like, look, I, I did this. I'm so artistic. And, yeah, and I can get yeah. you a good bison for dinner. <laughs> well, we also knew, um and and to kind of rein it in a little bit, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna I'm having suddenly become me. very serious about it. But um, we know that people are most creative um in their in their youth. Yeah. So we see this outpouring of creativity uh, where people are teenagers and in their 20s. And the idea that that's not about attracting a mate, I think, yeah. uh, is is impossible to defend. Do you know, I'm, I'm, I'm actually really convinced by this because, again, in, in the traditional story of what these spaces are supposed to be used as, we almost liken them to cathedrals or churches. And you have this idea of a sort of bearded old priest painting on the wall yeah, in the darkness. Yeah. But you're absolutely right. You know, this is, this is energetic. This is an expression of what they're doing in their day-to-day life, which is hunting. And, and actually, why shouldn't it be made by the youthful, the sort of sexually active yeah, um, yeah. members of society? And gosh, yeah, you're making me see it in a completely different light. <laughs> As oh, I said, there's going to be a lot of archaeologists who are going to be deeply unhappy about this that idea. But there you this go. is for our historians. We're allowed to explore the... <laughs> the, other, the other side of uh, Paleolithic art, of, of Ice Age art, that I think is um, really... Um, underexplored um, and 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 as an idea gets shut down very quickly, mm. is the idea that some of it might be about children, and and I find that fascinating. Again, it's this kind of idea that it's all very serious. It's all about adults, and it's all about adults engaging in um, quite um, cerebral and esoteric rituals. Um, and one of the examples, other examples I've got here is a, is the bison from Zarisk, which I was lucky enough to hold in my hand. So this is from a. Uh, a Paleolithic site um, about two hours' drive south of Moscow. Okay. And the archaeologists were excavating there originally um, to look at the medieval foundations of the, the Kremlin. So there's Ooh. a town hall in the centre of the city. And um, say, I think it's a town rather than a city. But um, they came across Paleolithic archaeology. They, they realised that what they had were these semi-subterranean dwellings, um, again, dating to you know around the peak of the, uh, of the last ice age, 20,000 years ago. And they found not only these these uh, semi-subterranean dwellings, which were roofed over with um, mammoth uh, bones, but also objects as well. So the Zerice bison is about 15 centimetres long, mm. and it's a beautiful, beautiful carving of a bison, and it's in mammoth ivory. So that's the, the material that's been carved. And it's a really stunning piece of art, actually. It is it's, absolutely gorgeous. Yeah. I'm looking at a, an image of it now, and and it, it, it's beautifully proportioned. It is clearly a bison. Yeah, you know, they've even depicted yeah. the the hump on the back. I mean, it, it's obvious what it's representing. That's what's that's what's so amazing about the Lascaux paintings too. You know, these are are very realistic looking animals. Yeah, they're not yeah. basic. But but what do you think it's used for then in that case, this bison? Because it's three-dimensional, it's a sculpture. It is, yeah. I mean, it's, it is really beautiful, isn't it? it I mean, is the beautiful. nose, the mouth, the, the, the hair falling over the, the forehead of the animal. It's absolutely gorgeous. Well, the archaeologists who discovered it uh, talked to me about it and they said, oh, it's, it's, you know, it's been ritually killed 
the legs have been broken off. It's been damaged um, intentionally on one side. You can see that it's been it's well, been it's pitted. Leg, but... Yeah, and it seems to have been deliberately covered with ochre as well. So a red pigment that could represent blood. So their interpretation of that, that was that this was some kind of hunting ritual and this would help, um, you know, in the hunt. And um, they were very, very unhappy when I suggested that it could have been a toy. Absolutely. You know, we read far too much. A leg is broken. A leg gets broken on my kids' toys all the time because they're smashing them on the floor and playing with them. It's coloured red because it's blood. It's some ritualistic sacrifice. No, it's because... It's the colour of an animal that's, you know, it's tried to make it look attractive for a kid's eye. I'm absolutely with you. And it, I suppose it's not about finding the right answer, is it? It's about keeping your mind open yeah, to alternative think possibilities so. and alternative yeah, readings. Yeah. And um, also, I don't think it's a flippant suggestion because no. I think if you look at, I mean, I I'm, I'm not saying it's the right hypothesis either. You have to you have to keep an open mind and you have to bear in mind all the potential hypotheses um, and, and, and you're not going to be able to test most of them. So you, you have to keep all of those um, avenues of thinking open but the idea that it couldn't possibly be a toy and that that is a necessarily flippant suggestion I think um says something to me about our current um uh, prejudices and preconceptions and uh, firstly if you look at our society and you look at where you see most figurines of animals and people um, that is in the context of children playing, right. and um, and it's not it's not necessarily a flippant thing. I don't I don't think that just because children are engaging with something means that um, it's not serious or it's not important to society. Children are learning about the world around them yeah. by playing with these objects. I mean, my my children know what a mammoth looks like, okay. um, which is extraordinary because we've got these plastic mammoths. Um, my, my poor children know what the inside <laughs> and the outside of animals look like. We're constantly <laughs> taking them to museums where they have to look at skeletons and taxidermy and all the rest of it but you know, but also you know flipping. figurines and, and yeah. you know and playing with dolls isn't necessarily a flippant thing playing with dolls is about role playing Training. it's about it's about understanding what you're going to be doing when you're older but so um, is so is being in a hunter-gatherer society where children are maturing much earlier they're, they're expected to be able to contribute presumably to the hunting of the tribe relatively early 10 11 12 years old so when are you going to train them about what these things are and how you deal with them when they're children, when yeah. they're very young? So it makes sense. And the other thing actually is that uh, quite often people are talking about the amount of time and effort that creating something like the Zarai Spice and all the beautiful mm. art in, in Lascaux takes. And again, that is that is taken to be uh, symbolic of, uh, of, of ritual and you know, an enormous amount of uh, effort expended around this particular activity but again if you think about the amount of time you spend um, making things for your kids mm. or doing things for your kids uh this makes a lot of sense to me and again i'm not saying it's i'm not saying it's the answer i'm just saying it's, it's one of my hypothesis amongst many yeah. but the zarice bison could have been something that was made by a parent a loving parent wanting to make something beautiful for one of their children and also something that would help their children learn about the life of the life that they were growing up in the, yeah. the society that they were growing up in yeah I, I think that it's it's about looking at alternatives and not imposing our own modern narratives backwards you can't take our ideas like I was saying of cathedrals churches religion ceremony you can't take that back 20,000 years it's it, it there may have been equivalents or there may have been alternatives but it's not like for like um, uh, this is so fascinating. We could, we've, we've talked for ages already. I could keep talking endlessly. I find the Lascaux cave paintings beautiful. 
I find them artistically stimulating. I think they're beautifully executed. Uh, that this, to me, is the birth of art. It's the origins of art. Uh, and, and, and yet, it is worthy of study in isolation of all other art that comes after it. It is just beautiful for what it is when it, when it was now. Thank you, Alice. Have you enjoyed talking about it too? Yeah, I loved it. And, <laughs> and I can understand, you know, Picasso went into these caves and said, we've learned nothing. What a lovely way to leave it. Thank you, my lovely. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.